First Thessalonians chapter one, verse one. Listen now to the reading of God's holy word. <clears throat> Paul, Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God, the father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out, so that we do not need to say anything. For they, they themselves declare concerning us, What manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Let's seek the Lord's blessing on this, his holy word. O gracious God and heavenly Father, we rejoice and give thanks to you for... Once again, for this evening, we thank you for the opportunity to uh, open your word and to uh, look for its truth. And we just praise you and thank you that your word is truth, that it is our only infallible rule for faith and life. And that as we come to this passage this evening, we pray, O Father, that you would, by your spirit, give us understanding and insight. And that as your word goes forth in the power of the spirit, we do pray that it would find within each of our hearts that rich, fertile soil which brings about great and abundant fruit for your glory. We pray for your blessing now upon your word. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. The church today is a mess. And one only needs to look at the multitude of church self-help books on the market to see that the church is in the midst of an identity crisis. And so here's just a sample of some of the book titles that are available about how to do church. The Simple Church, The Vintage Church, The Purpose Driven Church, The Total Church, The Deliberate Church, The Intentional Church, The Organic Church, Natural Church Development, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, Creating a Healthier Church, The Emotionally Healthy Church, Building a Healthy Multi-Ethnic Church, Mad Church Disease, The Comeback Church, The Essential Church, The Debt-Free Church, The Missional Church, The Passionate Church, The Sticky Church, 
The triumphant church, the tribal church, the electric church, the hip-hop church, the five-star church, the word-empowered church, the presence-based church, the externally focused church, outgrowing the ingrown church, the in-between church, church on the other side, church next, the living church, I refuse to lead a dying church, the blogging church, the caring church, the connecting church, the convergent church, the emerging church, the equipping church, the evangelizing church, the transforming church, the disciple-making church, the multiplying church, pop goes the church, this little church went to market, this little church stayed home, effective small churches, the very large church, starting a house church, the family-friendly church, the family-integrated church, toward an adult church, the one church for generations, Borderland churches, turnaround churches, thriving churches, spin-off churches, breakout churches, church for the unchurched, the master's plan for the church, Aqua Church 2.0, piloting your church in today's fluid culture. Churches that abuse, churches that make a difference, church that works, the church that never sleeps, the church's learning community, unlearning church, the church of irresistible influence, the church of the perfect storm, the church of 80% sincerity, the church God blesses, a new kind of church, planning growing churches, fast-growing churches, becoming a contagious church, becoming a blessed church, a God-centered church, the prayer-saturated church, the exciting church where people really pray, and finally, saving Jesus from the church. I did come across one that I might actually purchase, and that's the church lady's divine desserts. Well, this is just really, and again, this is just a small sample of, of what's out there. Now, some of these books may be helpful, and some, and I'm afraid just reading through that list, maybe not many, or or most of them, would not be worth the paper that they're printed on. But the reality is that they all imply that the church has fallen short of what it should be. And so especially this evening, as we're gathered together here to organize and particularize a church... Well, we should ask ourselves, how are we to do church in the 21st century? Well, our passage this evening reveals a very simple plan to follow. By God's grace, the church of the Thessalonians is an exemplary church that we would do well to strive to imitate. And the Apostle Paul likely didn't envision all the church self-help books available today, but he did understand that churches need good examples to follow, and he commends the Thessalonians for being such an example. And so if we want a healthy, effective, engaged, five-star church that the Lord blesses, we simply need to consider the church in Thessalonica. And first we must acknowledge that every good example, of course, needs a good example to imitate. And this is exactly what the Thessalonians believers had in the Apostle Paul and the others who were there uh, ministering with him, uh, Timothy and Silas, I believe. And Paul exhorts them, he exhorts the Thessalonians for becoming followers or imitators of us. Now we get our English word mimic from the Greek word that's used here for follower or imitate. And indeed, the Thessalonians have mimicked, that is, they've copied the example that Paul, Timothy, and Silas had set. Now, what was it that they mimicked? Well, they have received the word 
in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. Now let's quickly unpack this. When the missionaries first brought the word to Thessalonica, there was great opposition, and we read about this in Acts 17. The Jews who were resistant to the gospel stirred up a riot and attacked the house of one of the believers. And since they couldn't find Paul, well, they turned their anger toward the Thessalonian Christians, dragging them out of the house and falsely accusing them before the civil magistrates. But despite this persecution and harassment, the Thessalonian believers held on to their faith. And in this, they were imitating Paul and the others, as Paul will remind them at the beginning of chapter 2. It reminds them that they, that they brought the word to the Thessalonians despite great persecution. He recounts how they were mistreated unjustly and imprisoned in Philippi. And then they, later when they went to Thessalonica, they were forced out of Thessalonica. And then from there, they were even forced out of Berea. As the Jews and the opposing Jews kind of kept them moving from one city to the next. And they'd suffered greatly because of their proclamation of the gospel. But they preached the gospel anyway. And they preached the gospel in the midst of affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And in this, the Thessalonians imitated Paul as they actually received the word in the very same way in which it was proclaimed, knowing that once they received that word and believed it, that they were actually inviting persecution and suffering into their lives. And yet they received it with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Now we'll touch more on this joy shortly, but, but here we note that the Thessalonians imitated the example that they were shown. They mimic the steadfast character and perseverance of Paul and the others seeking to do the same in their own lives. Indeed, Christ raises up leaders in his church for this very purpose. We know that pastors and elders and deacons are to be examples for the flock that they minister among for the flock to imitate. Indeed, this is one of the reasons why the Lord gives the the various qualifications for the officers of the church. Because they ought to be sound men of good character who are worthy of imitation. And as any good pastor, elder, or deacon will tell you, well, this is very humbling. When you think about the prospect that people are going to be imitating you as they look to your godly character. But, thankfully, because that is very humbling to consider, but thankfully we know that God is pleased to use such broken and shattered vessels to proclaim his word and to minister his name in the midst of his people. But there's a caution here. This imitation and following of leaders ought not to be blind. Many believers, sadly, are too willing to be led by men, their writings and their charismatic personalities, without question and without testing their teaching and their examples against the scriptures. And this has led to the destruction of many, both individuals and and churches alike. And Paul is aware of this weakness, and so he adds, you're followers of us and of 
the Lord. Now this is basically the same idea that Paul expresses in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, where he says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. See, the apostles were following an example as well. The example of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as the Thessalonians imitated uh, Paul, they were also then imitating Christ because the apostles sought to imitate Christ. And so we imitate and follow those in authority over us in the church, not unconditionally, but only, only as they seek to imitate Christ. And what was Christ's example? What was patient endurance through suffering with the joy and certainty that God the Father was always in control? This is what we see Jesus doing in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night that he was betrayed and arrested. He knew full well what the Father had set for him to accomplish. He knew that pain, suffering, and even death were coming. And yet, he gladly received the Father's word and will when he prayed, not my will, but thy will be done. And as the writer of the Hebrews reminds us in Hebrews 12 too, saying, for the joy that was set before him, that is Jesus, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so Jesus Christ suffered to accomplish the gospel. The Apostle Paul and those with him suffered to proclaim the gospel. And the Thessalonians, and even those believing today, suffer in receiving the gospel. And yet they all did so with great joy and gladness in the midst of that affliction that they know would come. Now this led to another way in which the Thessalonians became imitators of, of Paul and the other missionaries. They faithfully and boldly proclaimed the gospel to others, even as they had it proclaimed to them. And we see this in verse 8. For from you the word of the Lord was sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out, so that we do not need to say anything. And so like the blast of a trumpet or, or the peal of thunder... The word of the Lord has gone forth from the Thessalonians and it's impacted the entire region. Now this could mean that the Thessalonians themselves, that the church itself had sent out missionaries to other areas or that they were faithful to simply share the gospel with, with those, with their neighbors and with those who were passing through. You see, the city of Thessalonica was, a, was an important city. Not only was it on the major trade highway, but it was a, a great port city. And so people were always coming and going from Thessalonica from, from all over. And whenever they came to Thessalonica, many of them heard the gospel. And they saw the evidence of its power in the lives of of these Thessalonian believers. Because the Thessalonians didn't just proclaim the words of the gospel, they also proclaimed the gospel indeed, as the gospel, as the power of the word manifests, manifested itself in them 
through their work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father, as Paul says here in in verse 3. It's in these same areas that the Thessalonians, once on the receiving end, have now become proclaimers and examples for others to follow, even for us here in the 21st century. And so what is that example? Well, first we note their example of hospitality, which demonstrates their work of faith and labor of love. They first were hospitable toward the very word of God itself, which they received and welcomed as one welcomes a guest into their home. But again, this was no easy task because they saw what happened to Paul, who was proclaiming this message. It was hard and it, it took a toll to receive the word of the gospel knowing that it was going to bring suffering and persecution. And yet again, they willingly did so anyway. They knew that they'd be pressed hard like grapes being squeezed in a wine press. They endured crushing pressure because they received the gospel. And they did so again with great joy. Joy amidst suffering is certainly something that's often minimized in, in the church today. We don't like to suffer. We don't like to think about suffering. And we see that suffering is, is something to be shunned. That is, if, if you're suffering, well, then people wonder, well, maybe you've sinned. Now, this may be true. And if it is true, well, then you need to examine yourselves and seek out that sin and confess it. But we also know that the Lord sometimes allows suffering to come into our lives for reasons not related to our own personal sin. And though we may not always understand why this suffering has come, we know and confess and believe that our sovereign God has a plan and purpose for it. And ultimately that plan and purpose is to make us more like Jesus Christ. Because of this ultimate purpose, then we can uh, truly consider it all joy when we endure various trials and temptations, as James uh, writes in his letter. Because we have the confidence that God truly works out all things for our good and his glory. Now, how could the Thessalonian believers, how could they do this? Well, certainly not in their own strength. The only way that they could do it is because the same Spirit that brought power to the Word which transformed their lives in the beginning is the same very Spirit that brought confident joy to them amidst persecution and trouble. The Thessalonians give us a great example of being truly hospitable to the truth of the Gospel, even receiving with it with joy in the midst of suffering and persecution that's sure to follow and accompany it. But it was also reported, not only that the Thessalonians received the word of the gospel with affliction and joy, but they also were most hospitable to the messengers of that word. And so in verse 9, we read this. Paul says, For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you. Remember, Jesus warning his disciples that 
Not everyone would receive them or their message with joy and gladness as they went out to proclaim the gospel in various cities. And and he told them that when you go to a place and they don't receive you, then shake the dust off under your feet as a testimony against them. Again, Jesus knew that this was going to happen to his disciples and the apostles as he sent them out. Because even those of his own hometown rejected him. The people that he'd come to save, to be their Messiah, had also rejected him. And so the disciple, Jesus remembered, or reminds, the disciple isn't above the teacher. What they do to one, they'll do to the other, and even more so. And again, even today, even in the much of what calls itself the church, neither the truth of the gospel nor the faithful messengers who proclaim it are tolerated. They're expelled. They're forced out or eventually, or even gradually overcome by small, subtle steps of ignorance and departures from the truth. But the Thessalonians would not be that way. They wouldn't be known as those who heard the truth of the gospel and rejected it and who rejected its messengers. No, they gladly received Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And they received the word that they brought, thus establishing themselves as an example to other cities and churches, even today, to receive the ministry of the word when it's proclaimed from the pulpit, when it's uh, brought in in, uh, counseling, and when it's ministered to, to you by service and actions to receive that word and be hospitable to that word as it's given to you. And truly, again, it's a, it's a great example uh, to, uh, to follow and imitate. Well, second area of example that the Thessalonian believers gave was their example of faith. In verse 8, we see that in every place where Paul went, he actually heard of the faith of the Thessalonians toward God. Now, this is extraordinary because we know that the Thessalonians weren't out there extolling their own virtues of their of their own faith. Not at all. But others had heard of the faith of the Thessalonians. And as one commentator notes, it was like holy gossip that quickly spread to every region, even reaching places ahead of Paul, so that once he arrived, he really didn't have to say anything about how the gospel has transformed lives, because people had already heard of the the transformation, the transformative work of the gospel of grace in the lives of the Thessalonians. And they were now already eager to hear the gospel for themselves when Paul came. Now talk about an example for the church today to to follow and imitate. Just think of the impact of the witness that we could have in our own communities for the cause of Christ if people actually saw in us and in how we live out our lives each and every day, if they saw in us the transforming power of the gospel of grace. Imagine if, if holy gossip, gossip is spread about what the Lord was doing here in, in San Antonio or in Dallas or in Bryan or in Houston. Imagine that. Truly, may people know of us 
Not just because of our, of our doctrine and our, our conservative theology. May they also know us because of how our faith in Christ and His gospel transforms our lives and permeates every aspect of it. Indeed, this is the example of faith that the Thessalonian believers had set. Indeed, it's a worthy example to imitate. Now for the Thessalonians, this transformation evidenced itself in their turning from idols and turning toward the living and true God that they might serve Him, as we see in verse 9. As upon hearing the gospel with power and the Holy Spirit, many Thessalonians turned from their pagan idolatry and, and turned instead toward the one true living God. They turned from worshiping false idols created by the hands of men and t- they turned toward the Creator who created them in all things. This turning in verse 9 is a picture of, of true repentance. Repentance is turning away from sin and and turning toward God. And indeed, outside of Christ, we know that in our sin natures, we are all, we all serve false idols, whether it's, it's wealth, pleasure, power, or even just the idol of self. We are by nature's, by nature, idolaters. But when the gospel comes with power and the Spirit, as it came for, to the Thessalonians, were enabled then by the grace of God to turn from these idols and turn toward the one true living God. As we turn from the idols in our lives and seek to serve the living Christ, our desire should be that the testimony of our faith in Him would cause His gospel to boldly go forth from us into the surrounding community into the region, throughout the state, and into the rest of the world. Truly, may this be the witness, even of this new Reformed Presbyterian Church in San Antonio. Well, final area where the Thessalonians give us an example is in the area of hope. The report has gone out and continues to go out that the Thessalonians not only received the word and been transformed by its power, But they also hold forth a great and confident hope as they wait for his son from heaven, whom God raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. The gospel isn't only a message of transformation, but it's a message of hope, and that hope is everlasting. For the Thessalonians, this this hope meant an end to their persecution and suffering. It meant vindication before their enemies and those who sought to destroy them. It meant victory once and all, once for all over Satan's sin and death. It meant fullness of joy in the everlasting presence of God the Father and Jesus Christ His Son. We note these about their hope. First, it was a hope that was secured by Jesus Christ when he was raised from the dead on the third day. Jesus Christ was the first fruits of the promise that one day, those whose faith and trust is in him alone for salvation shall be raised from the dead with transformed bodies united together with our souls that we might stand forever in God's glorious presence. 
And secondly, the resurrection of Jesus Christ stands as a cornerstone of the gospel. And this was true for the Thessalonians and it's true for us today. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. So Christ's resurrection secured the victory for us over Satan, sin, and death. And if we trust in Him and have this hope in us by the grace of God, we'll be spared the judgment and wrath to come. For Christ will come again to judge the living and the dead. And those whose hope and trust is in something or in someone else will be consumed by God's just and holy wrath. Indeed, we know that politicians and philosophers of the day may offer hope. But friends, if it isn't a hope of the gospel through Jesus Christ, then it will not be the hope that we need today in the 21st century. And so let's cling to this sure and certain hope, even as the Thessalonians did and gave example. And the anticipation of this hope leads to two final points regarding the example that God has set before us. And the first thing is this. Brothers and sisters, we must simply just do it. We must strive in grace to imitate the examples that have been set before us, not just as individuals, but as a body of believers receiving the gospel with joy, even in the face of suffering. And then demonstrating our faith by our works as a witness to our communities and clinging on to that hope of eternal life. This is the example we've been shown. Now, we can go ahead and read books like Aqua Church 2.0, Piloting Your Church in Today's Fluid Culture. And perhaps there are some good lessons, lessons there. But, if we truly want to find an exemplary church to pattern ourselves after, well, let's look to the ancient church of the Thessalonians and imitate them as they imitated Paul and the apostles who ultimately were imitating Christ. This is how we should do church in the 21st century. By looking to the examples that the Lord himself has given us. Even Christ. And as we pursue him, we then will become an example to others. Even leading others to the glorious hope of eternal life in Christ. And so Reformed Presbyterian Church in San Antonio, be such an example. Do these things. Imitate this example so that you might then be an example to others. But it's important to remember as well that you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be perfect to be an example of the work of God's grace through the power of his word. Paul and the apostles weren't perfect. The Thessalonians weren't perfect. The elders of the presbytery gathered here and those soon to be installed to form this congregation aren't perfect. But God has been pleased to use such broken and shattered vessels to proclaim his gospel and to be examples for you. If God can use us and transform our lives, then he can use you, whom he calls even now through the gospel to turn away from your sin and the idols of your hearts and to turn toward the true and living God. Turn and believe on His Son, Jesus Christ, who though He knew no sin, 
became sin for us, that we might be the righteousness of God in him. That we might be proclaimers of his truth and that we might be great beacons of hope in the midst of this dark and fallen world. Truly, may God be glorified to use you, the Reformed Presbyterian Church in San Antonio, to be such an example of his grace to the glory of God alone. Let's pray. Gracious God in heaven, we do praise you and thank you, Lord, for this wonderful reminder and this example that you give to us in your word. And we don't need to go to all these self-help books for the church. We have your word to lead us and guide us. And you give us plenty of examples of what to do and what not to do. And we praise you and thank you for giving us this example of the Thessalonian church. And that as we seek to establish this congregation and organize this congregation here in, in this great city of San Antonio this evening, we pray, Father, that you would truly help this congregation receive the gospel in, in this way. Even in the midst of suffering and persecution that will surely come. That they would receive it with joy and gladness and that they would seek to be faithful proclaimers and ministers by word and deed that they might be an example to other congregations and to other churches and to others, bringing many to the joy of the salvation and eternal hope in Jesus Christ through their faithful witness and ministry. And so, Father, we pray for your blessing upon this congregation and that you would truly, uh, even now, impress these truths upon each of our hearts. And that we would even go back to those that are, are uh, have come and, and, and support to go back to our own congregations to be mindful of these things. And to be those faithful witnesses. Because our chief desire in all things is to glorify you. May it be so. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.